Hey, this is Justin Pearson. And this is Luke Hinshaw. And this is episode 11 of the Cult and Culture podcast. Um, this episode features Jason Hammaker, who is known for a bunch of things. I met him um, through his bands, um, Frotus and then Regents and I don't know, a bunch of other things. He plays in a, he played in Battery, Straight Edge Band, and just various different things. Um, I don't even know where to start with this one, man, because he, yeah. he kind of... I mean, his so he's been working with the Smithsonian and like doing these mm-hmm. field recordings, and and he went to Syria and recorded like the oldest Christian chant that existed or exists from the year sixty, which is insane uh, to me to even try to comprehend that amount of time. Um, this whole podcast is pretty much a wild ride. Yeah, so be prepared to go. <laughs> from left field to right field, and then all of a sudden you're back home. Yeah. After a while. Um. So it's it's weird because I I I I thought like when I first met him, and I remember being on tour with, I guess it was I don't know what band he was on tour with, but maybe Frodus and, and the Locust played together, and and I remember like thinking like, man, this guy's so awesome, but he's Christian, and I kept thinking like he's gonna be offended by like everything I say, mm-hmm. and I you know I would cuss and 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 I think we had these Locust stickers that said anything Jesus does I can do better, and I was like, man, <laughs> he's just gonna be like. We're just not going to so like, be, yeah. And I like, yeah. didn't want to offend him. And I remember like kind of joking with him being like, you know, like, cause he would say like, you know, he would say words, I don't know, like not fuck. He wouldn't say, he wouldn't say fuck, you know? And I, and I thought, oh, that was so weird to me. Like, and, and so I, I thought, Oh, sorry, I cussed around you, you know? And, it, and then I realized like, man, this guy's a, a, a total badass jokes, like nonstop pranks people, like all this stuff and like keeps it cool and he's like like if christians could take a cue from this guy like i don't think christianity would be so bad (laughs) totally he think i think like him his religious side is very seemed very personal to him because he didn't really want to like elaborate as much yeah as far as like because how we were talking about how you and i you know we're going to kind of just set him up to kind of maybe debate christianity based upon my views and anti-religion anti-christianity and all you mean religions your complete hate complete and hatred <laughs> for all of that crap but it didn't go there and i'm glad it didn't because he's a very good guy and i didn't want to like yeah you know well like one he's educated beyond super educated i don't yeah. know i think any most christians and he's like in his like affiliation with like religion is 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 um Man, it, it's like just it's so in depth, and mm-hmm. and um, and also he's a very progressive human being, and that's and 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 so I think that, that says a lot in itself too, because people try to hold on to these like weird social, you know, regulations that like religion kind of puts on people, and he, you know, like, you know, like when I think of Christianity, I think it's oh, it's homophobic, it's mm-hmm. it's it's sexist, and I mean that that guy is not those things, you yeah. know, and so it's it's a trip to like kind of consider that and. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, I, there's only a, I, there's a handful of a handful of um, you know like people that identify as Christians um, I, that I'm friends with that I think are one. I think that they're awesome, and two, they're progressive, and 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 three, like they're punk. You know, yeah. even like people that aren't even into punk music, like a friend of mine who's a um, he's a is a a gay minister, and he yeah. doesn't like the kind of music I play, except he was coming seeing my bands play and just thought like the dudes in the bands are hot or whatever, you know? And, like, <laughs> and that's kind of rad in itself, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, it's cool. Like I, yeah. I really like that. Like that in itself is challenging, you know? Yeah. Like, 
Totally. I think if Jason wasn't a Christian, I think he would still be the same person he is right now. I yeah. agree. He'd just cuss and stuff, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cuss uh, he definitely knows how to shit. play jokes and prank people. I mean, that's that seems like most of that guy's um, subconscious agenda. He's always like up yeah. to something crazy. And that and that's just, I think, awesome in itself. Um, but anyhow, it's really nice that he was able to make it down to San Diego and record this with us. And I'm, and I'm, and I, and I honestly like really love the dude and he's a great drummer and he's a great friend. And, um, I'm glad he exists in this world and, and, and I'm psyched that we got to get into a conversation with him. Totally. Cool. Well, there, uh, there's the, the intro and, uh, you know, the rundown of, of, of Jason Hammaker, uh, in our minds. So, um, here is the episode and we hope you enjoy it. Are we ready to do this? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, I don't. I want to get into all that stuff, but let's yeah. let's start it like let's start it off right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is everything cool? The levels and everything. Yep. Okay. So starting off right is that course disapproval? I don't know. I'm, I was never a fan of that band, man. I was like into No Means No and stuff. So like, I don't know. If I... No, let's start off right, like, because I remember. Okay, I want to talk about like. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. Even looking at like your Wikipedia, like it's like, talk, which is weird. It like, talks about man cake on there. I like like who like. This is how I found out I had a. This girl came up to me at work, uh-huh. and she was like, "I can't believe you were in a band with someone from OK Go." I was like, "I don't even know what you're talking about." <laughs> what band was that? Frodis. Oh. And yeah. so, but I didn't even heard of OK Go. Uh huh. And so, she who, who was in that band from Frodis? The bass player and wow. the singer Damien. He put out the first Frodis CD. Huh. Like 1994 or uh-huh. five. And so I was just like, she's like, yeah, I looked it up on Wikipedia. I was like, what are you talking? Like everything yeah. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. This is like 2008. It was a long time ago. You ever try to edit your own Wikipedia? Well, yeah. I was like, this is all wrong. wrong. Like, what is I know, this? I know. And then I, you get in trouble. Yeah, I tried to. <laughs> I, I was like, I was not. This says I was, I was in Bastard Noise. I was like, I wish I was in Bastard Noise. <laughs> But yeah. like it's confusing. I was like, I was like, I was like, whoever did this knows some really specific information. Stuff, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, or like, like the man cave thing, and like, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it had to have been like a friend or something that. My my theory is like it was maybe Shelby like uh-huh. put some stuff up. I don't know. You could have other people edit yours easier than you can. I had I had a Jose Palafox edit mine, and I edited his, but he wanted me to put all this stuff that he was like. A, terrorist and, and i was like i mean he kind of is but i was like dude this is gonna come back on me for editing your you know. but it, yeah i was just like the stuff i wanted done to mine was simple but um yeah it wouldn't it didn't go through but so like it's it's crazy to think about like i want to get into this stuff with syria but yeah. like it's crazy to think about things like one of my most memorable times was like playing fun 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 fest and was retox and regents and and I had not had not seen you yet, and your whole band was there, and everyone's like, "Yeah, he's parked in the car, or whatever, whatever it was." <laughs> and all of a sudden, here you are, here you approach, and you're like, "You're like, come up, and you're like, hold this," and you hand me the Youth of the Day cupcake, and you run off, and I'm like, holding this Youth of the Day cupcake. Wow, that's pretty rad. Where did Jason go? And then this dude just comes like barreling through the crowd, like screaming, like, "Where the fuck is he?" You know, and like I was like, "Dude," and everyone's like, "Oh, there goes Jason." This seems about right. <laughs> yeah, that like. <laughs> 
I was trying to park and I nicked like the guy opened the door and I nicked his door and then he just started chasing. Me. Yeah. He was trying to actually kill me. Like he like tried to ram me in the car and then I parked and I started running and then he just got out of the car and started chasing me. And then I was like, I'm holding this like <laughs> youth today vegan youth of the day cupcake. I don't want to get ruined. <laughs> Then I ran into the club and then, yeah. like, she had to change clothes. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they kept, like, circling the block trying yeah. to, like, recognize me. Well, luckily, the show was sold out, so he couldn't go in. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God, finally our bands, like, can sell out a show to save your ass. Yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's like the, there's stuff like that that, are, that blow my mind, you know. And, and so, so like, you know, even, like, when we were on tour, I think was it was, like, the locust and, and combat wounded veteran and those yeah. there was like those straight edge guys trying to kill the locust yeah. and like you know i mean the things that we the stuff we've gotten involved in you know and then i'm like oh they're gonna go meet with these like i, I don't even know where to start you know and i'm i mean right I, in i want to dive into it and i want to dive into it like correctly I, i'm afraid if i like start saying something i'll like not start at the right point or say the wrong thing or whatever but like uh, i mean I, and you should explain it but um um i mean i I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't, well, one of the things that's difficult about all of this is there's so much information <clears throat> and then it, it goes like normally with like any kind of tour story or whatever, it's like you got like two highlights and then there's like phony parts and there's a crazy part and then like, <laughs> and then that's it, yeah, you know, but yeah. like then you rope in this whole other like depth of culture and everything else and like the explanations are longer. You have to like try to, you know what I mean? Like I... I understand not knowing where to start. Okay. You know? Especially because, I mean, I mean, I, you are a very religious man, and I am not a religious kind man. Of, kind okay, of. Okay, you're kind of. You are. To me, you're very religious. <laughs> okay. I remember, like, on tour being like, oh, my God, he's Christian. I can't say fuck around him. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, like, oh, we have those, like, anything Jesus does, I can do better stickers. I'm like, this is, how is this guy my friend? Like, he's, he likes me, I think. You know, like, I mean, I, I would, I was trying to piss people off like yes, you. I, <laughs> I was like, Oops. I'm aware. Yeah, I was like, okay, he gets it. Um, why can't all people? Because I think most of the time, most of the time, anyone that's usually like anti-religious, we usually agree with like 90% of everything. Yeah. You know, like almost everything. And if I, you know, and if anyone's like completely honest, like, I would say most people are actually agnostic, especially priests wow. and like people in the clergy. Like they are there to question everything. Sure. And there's like this, especially working like the Syrian Orthodox <clears throat> Church that I work with. They voted on the New Testament. It's crazy. Uh -huh. You know, like uh -huh. being like in the land where it was kind of formulated was super heavy and kind of like kind of learned through osmosis i guess huh but like well so i i from i mean i par excuse me for if i say the wrong thing but like i i view like <clears throat> christianity in in syria maybe before like the current situation with the assad regime like right. as like kind of like almost like punk you know you're like wow you're like the uh, the outcast or like the underdog right and then well, kind of. I mean, so like especially like in context of like stuff like ISIS where like Christians are being like yeah, killed. I mean, there there's there's the the last like several hundred years has been a fairly systematic wave of genocide that kind of rotates through like everything. against Christians. Against Christians, but also against like minorities. Like there's like so a lot of times like the most almost none of this has to do with belief systems whatsoever. It's like identity 
Uh-huh. Like we're Christian because we've been Christian since 60, you know, yeah, yeah. 60 AD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like this is, yeah. this is, you know, and so it's more of along the lines of the identity of who they are. Uh-huh. And that becomes like the standard bearer. Sure. You know, just like there, there's, I, <laughs> if someone asks what kind of music you play, what do you say? Annoying. Is that it? That's usually what I say. Some like standard person, like standard person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll like, say it's like I just play annoying. Yeah, because I, when I say punk, they're like, oh, Green Day. Exactly. Urgh, you know. So, but <clears throat> but my point to all of that is same thing. Like, it's like few people will say annoying. Most people will say like rock. Okay. Or I'm in like a rock band. Yeah, hard rock know? or something. Yeah. And it's like it's a way for people to like kind of a. Identify with themselves. Uh-huh. I haven't really explained it. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. And so, the identity is really strong related to the faith, but like a lot of the, this is kind of my takeaway from it. It's a huge cultural impact as opposed to, like, a spiritual impact. People identify with their culture I, as opposed to, like their <clears throat> beliefs. Okay. And then you know that gets diluted. You come the united states and then it's kind of like it's not this it's not even close to even being the same the they brought up last night which is really interesting they associate their story who's they the syrian orthodox church okay uh this community in burbank california um the only option i found is rock community church (laughs) (laughs) how is that even working i don't know technology siri Oh, maybe because Syria Technology or Syrian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, Steve, sh- and Steve Jobs is Syrian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steve? Hey, Apple. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> Excuse me. But so they he kind of came up with the analogy of the Christians in not just Syria, but that whole area, Iraq. Lebanon, Turkey, are they kind of feel it's the same as the Native Americans in the United States? Okay. Like I was like, that's an ingenious. It's almost it. the exact same. Sure, sure. You know. Wow. Okay. And so, every when everyone's dealing with the the Native Americans, like the faith components got almost nothing to do. And it's almost not structured like uh in the in the Western world, like how Christianity is here. Like organized religion is like right political and 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 just. Right. I mean, it can get super. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it can get super political. It is political, but it's more like uh, more of an ethical thing, right? Is that right? Or like a a cultural thing than a than a yeah. I don't know what the right word would be. Like the one word that gets used all the time that I don't have any affinity towards is tribalism. Uh huh. It's kind of like this tribe sure has been Christian believers since sixty, and you know, just kind of like just the number sixty seems insane. Yeah. Totally. 60, um, you know? So can you take us back a little bit to where the, rec- I want to talk about the recordings. I think, I mean, yeah. like I, I kind of was like, this is rad. This is cool. when you would talk about it. And then it was like, it was kind of like, I remember driving and, and hearing you on, was it Terry Gross that interviewed you on yeah. NPR? And I was like, that's Jason on NPR. <laughs> like, this is wild. And then I was like, okay, this is like a huge deal. I mean, I knew you were going to be on it, but it was really, it was like, hearing your voice come out of my car speaker was like, th- that was it. I was like, wow. All right. This is like a, a huge thing. It was. Yeah. That, it, that was the first <clears throat> public interview I did on all of this. Like 
the biggest possible radio interview you could do. And I had no clue what that would mean. Like, they were kind of explaining, like, oh, yeah, on average, like, 30 million people listen to this show. Yeah. I was like, okay. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I don't even know. Like, <clears throat> do they? Like, oh, yeah, how do you do these metrics? But so in 2014, I decided to, and let me back up because this will make it kind of, let me start with what happened. In 2005, Decahedron, the band, like Frodus breaks up and re-reform with Joe Lolly from Fugazi. And that band was called Decahedron. Joe and his wife moved to Italy to, to, to take care of in-laws. We kind of get another bass player do that a little bit, that implodes. And then the next day, we're, we broke up the night before tour. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. You know, like, I was like, I'm out. This sucks. Like, you know, like, let's just, we don't need to force anything and I'm kind of over it. Uh-huh. And so I went to a dinner party and my friends, Bill from the band Discount, uh, we were like, let's, try to do something different. Let's do like a rock orchestra. This is the the concept. I even talked to you about it. Where it was like, approach songs symphonically, where we get like a section of bass players, a section of guitars, a bunch of drummers, and then come up with some sort of music for some vocal tradition that was normally or historically sung a cappella. And so at the end of this meeting, or this, you know, hang out we kind of tasked each other to go find some piece of music on the internet and then we'll start coming like concepting like what we would actually do and so i was in dc and bill called me he's like dude i found these amazing chants from serbia and i totally misunderstood him and thought he said syria (laughs) (laughs) okay seriously yeah and so i was like dude it's like, man, I was so close to going to Syria and I never got to go. He's like, I said Serbia. I was like, I know, man. Like, I was like, remember, because I was on tour with International Noise Conspiracy and I was like on the border and I was going to go down and I just I couldn't pull it off. I couldn't get into Syria. Uh-huh. And Bill was like, I said Serbia. I was, and I just kept misunderstanding him. And then I dropped <laughs> the phone call. And then like in 2001, I went to Israel with Good Clean Fun and I had bought a book in the in the airport called From the Holy Mountain by William Darrymple just cuz it looked cool. I had no intention <laughs> of reading I had no intention of reading it. Uh-huh. Like I was actually from a design standpoint I bought it cuz I thought somehow I could incorporate it's like it was like kind of gilded with I don't know, it looked cool. Um I ended up reading that book years later and it described this ancient Christian chanting and then I went and opened up the book and I was like, oh my God, like this dude describes this chant. We got to jam to that. Like, let me try to get a hold of this guy. So then I emailed the author. Of In the- Syria. Yeah. So the Serbia thing was something totally different. Yeah. That, okay. Like totally. <clears throat> I mean, and, and Serbian chants are really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. But so I ended up just kind of going down the rabbit hole and like just kept chasing it and chasing it. And, you know, I'm ADD and. So the band, uh, the the orchestra thing never even happened, did it? No. Yeah. So what happens is I ended up being on the phone with the Archbishop of the Eastern United States. 
and he was said, we don't have the music you're looking for. I've got something similar, but not what you're looking for. And I was like, well, how do I find that? He's like, well, we just don't have a recording of it. And I was like, well, I'll, you know, whatever it takes, like I'll get it, you know, I'll pay to import it or whatever. Uh -huh. He's like, no, we don't have a recording to show you. And I was like, you mean we with a capital W? Like, no <laughs> one's got this? He was like, well, <laughs> I was like, 1,800 years, you don't have a recording to show the public? I was like, do you want me to make one? He's like, do you know how? I was like, yeah, I can, I can, yes. Yeah. He's like, well, come up to New York. He's like, actually, in New Jersey. He's like, come up to New Jersey and let's talk about it. And that's when, like, the whole orchestra thing went out the window. Uh -huh. And then um, it kind of totally morphed into chant preservation. And so, you know, I ended up going to Syria a lot for a bunch of different organizations over the years. And I finally, you know, I made those recordings. I ended up getting into some trouble with the military at one point. So I'd always have my recording gear. So then I started to record places that I would walk by every day. So I had this huge collection. What of, was the trouble you got in with the military? I got arrested and was accused of being a CIA operative. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole nother can of Which work. is crazy because you could have went to prison for... Dude, I actually met someone <clears throat> that used to work for the Syrian embassy and they were drinking. <clears throat> and he was like, do you know how close you were to being in serious trouble when you were there? Yeah. I was like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and he said what happens a lot, and this is why people are like, oh, they go into jail and they disappear. Uh -huh. And this is something you never think about. They change the names of the prisoners on entry. Uh, so like you get checked in as Jason and they change my name uh -huh. so that if someone's trying to find me or find someone like the guards are telling the truth. We don't have someone here by that name. Yeah. And so you uh, get lost in their system. It's crazy. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm glad that didn't happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I started putting out these <clears throat> recordings in 2014. And the first one was a Sufi group. I recorded in a um, 500-year-old house in the old city of Aleppo. In that album, I wasn't sure if anyone would care, honestly. I was like, this is super, you know, niche Syrian chanting from Aleppo. And, and I wasn't really sure. And I was completely wrong. Like, uh -huh. I released it on LP for Record Store Day. And it sold out in 45 minutes. Yeah, what label, though? I just started my own, uh -huh. but I did it with a uh, electric cowbell. Huh. It's classic, like, you know, classic DC where, you know, I'm really good with like remembering dates. It was October of 2013. And I was like, I think I should do something. I haven't released a record on my own since the first Frodo seven inch. Uh -huh. So I called discord as just like a, Hey, I need help with this. And then discord was like, Hey, there's actually a guy in Arlington that puts out world music and always sells out his stuff on record store day. And I was uh -huh. like, that's so random. I was like, yeah. well, can you introduce us? And we get an intro together and I go to meet him in a coffee shop and I, I'm just expecting like a hippie, like some dude yeah. who's like in his sixties or his seventies. That's just, you know, whatever. And we're sitting there and this guy's name is Jim Thompson. And we're sitting down, we're talking and, um, I was like, so how do you know how do you know Ian in the whole Discord scene? He's like, Oh, I know him from back in the day. I was like, 
which day? Minor threat, <laughs> embrace, or Fugazi? Uh-huh. He's like, oh, Fugazi. He's like, I did a handful of early Fugazi shows in Richmond. I was like, oh, really? I was like, are you a musician? He's like, yeah, I play drums. I was like, dude, I play drums. Uh-huh. And and um, I was like, what was the name of your band? He's like, Guar. What? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, he's the original drummer for Guar. And so that's who put out the record. Yeah, we like we became like label partners, and then uh, <laughs> you did it, 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 like you can't make it up. Yeah. And so was he aware of like the like severity of like what you were or like the, the like what he, you were? He he was like, oh, this dude's got like an authentic Sufi recording from yeah. Syria. Like yeah. we should sit down. Okay. You know, and then um, like Jim, once Guar became more metal, like he left. And then he's he was in the alternatives on um, Black Flags label. What the hell is that label? SST. SST. Like a bunch of stuff, but became like really involved in like we call it like outlier music, uh-huh. like, which you're aware of. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like and so now Jim books like this incredible music from all over the world, brings it to DC, brings it to New York, uh-huh. and is like heavily involved in music from everywhere, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's super rad. And so, so would he would he be able to bring over the people yeah. that you did? Have you ever done that? Well, that, I mean that was part of some of the ideas here in California. Uh-huh. Like, like the guys I recorded were just like one guy was an elder and the other guys uh, they can't come here. Uh-huh. Like from from a United States visa standpoint. Oh, now they definitely they cannot. Can. Yeah, like it's almost impossible. Okay. Uh-huh. to get into this country. Uh-huh. Um, and so I've been trying to kind of figure out how to pull something together in the United States, uh-huh. but I haven't, my head's not there yet. Like sure. I've got too much stuff I'm trying to sort. Okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's how it started. And okay. that's how I got on Terry Gross. So I got like, I hired a, <clears throat> Jim introduced me to like all these world music people and I hired a PR firm, you know, like a world music PR firm uh-huh. called Rock Scissors Paper that were great. And they, you know, pitched it to everybody, and the the head producer for for uh, Fresh Air was like, "Oh, this is interesting." <laughs> and then they called me, and they're like, uh, "Fresh Air really is interested in doing this." Like, I was like, "Okay," like not really under like computing what that means. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then. They agreed to do it, and I was like, "Dude, I need to like get myself together for this." <laughs> so like, I did a bunch of podcasts all in the same weekend, like in New York and all over to like talk a bunch about it. And I not demanded, but I was like, "Hey, I'd like to do it in person." They're like, "Oh, Terry Gross doesn't normally interview in person." I was like, "I'm literally coming to Philadelphia. I'm staying like Drew." Uh-huh. I was like, "I'm going to stay with the guitarist of my band." who I think is like a mile from your studio. <laughs> and she was like, they were like, well, you know, like she's going to be looking at notes and all of this. And I was like, well, so most of those interviews aren't done in person. Huh? No, they're Wild. like call in. And this is where, <clears throat> this is, this is the moment where it hit me. And I was like, okay, this is super intense. Yeah. They were like, well, if you're actually going to be in Philly, then it makes sense. He's like, but it's going to depend on Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and I was just like, what does that mean? Yeah. And they were like, She's interviewing Hillary the day before. Oh, yeah. mm. Because this is when Hillary Clinton's book came out. Yeah. She was like, she's interviewing Hillary Clinton the day before. And if she can get through all of the Hillary Clinton research, 
um, then she has to inter- she has to like research you and like be prepared for your interview. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, like I didn't I, I didn't I didn't think about it, you know. And she was like, yeah, like she can't just go in there. She was like, she's like, you know, our production team will have a bunch of stuff together for her, and then if she thinks that she can do it, and like Hillary Clinton, then yeah, let's do it. I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so she pulled it off. Obviously. Yeah, and then, like, we went in, and, dude, it was, like, it's for the exact reason I love to do stuff in person. Like, we were slotted to have a 45-minute conversation. It was two and a half yeah, hours. Yeah. Two and a half hours. Yeah, that's great. She was like, is that an eagle on your arm? I was like, no, it's actually an angel. I was like, it's actually from a 16th century woodcut expert, Albert Durr. She's like, oh, that's Durr? <laughs> and, then, and then, like, started, like, going over... Yeah. Well, what are all these other tattoos? Yeah, yeah I'm like kind of. Oh, Frodus, I got that first seven inch. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I had this whole bit. I got too nervous. I wanted to see if we, if she would do a um, morning show routine with me. It's like too. God, all your like goofy <laughs> stuff. You're like, that's like the. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna go and like just screw with that. You're like you're meeting with Terry Gross after Hillary Clinton, and you're just like, I'm gonna do a joke thing now. Let's talk about. Let's more... talk about the weather. Let's talk about the drive. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's a lot, but that's a very short thing of how it all started and how it um, became way more public. And because of that, that is called Nawa. That Nawa record was on the Billboard charts. Wow. It didn't, I mean, the world music charts, it didn't sell like thousands and thousands, but at least it almost covered the price. Yeah. So who do you think mainly bought it? All kind like... Across the board. Uh-huh. I mean, it's... To it's, me, it looked like a like a cool... Metal record, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I'm trying to think, like, maybe, like, Godspeed or something. like You know, kind of, like, had, like, a, a, a scary vibe to it. Well, I mean, know? that was kind of the... I mean, so all of the... Like, Ryan Fredrickson from These Arms Are Snakes and Nine Iron Spitfire, he designs all that stuff for uh-huh. me. And so part of it was the artistic direction of all those records are extremely important to me. So it was like, it basically, I designed those records for the 19 year old touring version of Jason Hamaker, you know, like digging through record bins or what is this? Oh, sure. You know, yeah. like the cover of that record was actually, it's a photograph my friend took in Syria uh-huh. with a bunch of whirling dervishes. And then we just reversed it. And like that specifically, there was such like a, like it came out with the rise of ISIS and there was such a huge anti-Islamic wave going through the United States. I thought it would be really amazing to have this kind of ominous looking cover and then have every chant or prayer be about love, essentially. Wow. Um, that it was a kind of strong artistic statement on the misunderstanding of an entire swath of the world. Yeah. You know. Okay. I'm dying to to jump ahead though to like right now though because um I mean you're you're in DC and you were saying how you like get invited to go to these like crazy, you know, yeah. me- meetings and 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 like meetups with like with politicians and, and stuff. I mean, I don't know. More like... it's more it's usually more like ambassadors. <laughs> okay. That's... But 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 I mean, so now like I've I've struggled with this a lot. And I've listened to Struggle a lot. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> no. I was 15. I didn't even name that band. Anyhow, no, it's a good let's, band. let's move on. No, but, 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 so seriously, it's like, you know, 
what is the point? Like, what is my point in all this? Like, it's not like I'm trying to find a meaning to everything, but it's like, you know, I have a massive amount of experience in music and, you know, photography, all this stuff. Like, what do you do with it? Like, how do I, I won't, like, I refuse to um, capitalize off of it. You know, like, I don't want to make money off sure. of any of this stuff, but what do I do to kind of further the conversation or retail of the conversation? And so my entire photo archive, I donated to the Library of Congress. And so they're like, they manage my entire image collection. And then the recordings are with me and then with the Smithsonian. And so, but all of this is so for future generations it's available and it's not locked away in some university. Uh But now I've, you know, I do a lot of public speaking on this too. Like I get up with a record player and talk, Uh you know, I did, I did at the United Nations in Geneva. I put a record player on the desk of the secretary and the chairman of the United Nations Uh and side mic'd it. And do you at least get sponsored by the record, the turntable company? I should, (laughs) I haven't reached out yet, but like I, I want, I want someone to like make me a special little thing. That like like, this vision I have is like a great record player that has speakers that swing open, and I can kind of like yeah. have this portable little thing. Uh-huh. But I haven't needed to do it for a while. Like, yeah. So I haven't gotten it yet. Do they make stuff like that? They they probably do. I'm sure they yeah. do. I, mean, I know a few people that design turntables. Like they're like like in the in the eighties, there was like this like boombox that like had yeah. A, uh, Andy might have one. I know he has one. It might be downstairs. Yeah, it's a boombox, and then you put the yeah, and like yeah. the like the record comes yeah. out vertical, right? Yeah. Or, right? No, 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 no. It's 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 horizontal. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. But but so kind of where I've kind of found myself mentally, like the metaphor I use is, you know, it's really difficult to go to a hospital and see someone super sick or see someone dying. Or it's really difficult. Difficult, like for you emotionally, not like. Yeah. Um, or, or both. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, yeah. it could be both. Like, yeah. just witnessing the dear the deterioration of anybody sure. or something that, like, that has affected you is difficult, and so it takes leaving that hospital or leaving that closed casket funeral, or in someone sending you some photo of grandma dancing on a table when she was thirty. You're like, yeah. oh, my grandmother's actually like. Used to be really cute and yeah. fun. Look, she's dancing on a table, yeah. and and so my collection of images and archives kind of serves as that purpose. Perfect example is we were with the group of people in Burbank yesterday, and we started talking about their neighborhood, and I knew like where everyone would go and eat these sandwiches super late night. A guy named Abu Jacques. They were like, you know Abu Jacques? Oh my God! You know, like yeah. like. You know, it's like these like deep cut cultural places that I went out of my way to photograph kind of provides that. Wow. So they so they're just they I mean, it seems so small, you know, the sandwich shop like that's pretty. Right. Insane. But it's like <clears throat> the sandwich shop. OK. You know, so it'd be like the pokies of San Diego. <laughs> right. <laughs> or like the discord house. OK, sure. It's like hyper specific to a group yeah. of people. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, okay. if that got removed, someone came through and like bombed it. Yeah. You know, and like. You know, all the people died in the fire, and then, then like, you know, yeah. then you've got like this big sure okay. photo collection of every square inch of the house. You know, like, yeah. So like, and so people have been the last like five six years. That's kind of 
where I've been, like producing all these things and then, um, you know, getting asked to speak every once in a while. And then so now the whole reason I went to Syria is this record with Smithsonian Folkways and this trip to California is the last piece before we can put it into production. And, and, and explain it. It's going to be a box set. So it's it's essentially they've got two different types of rec- of releases. They've got archival releases where they were like, okay, this is historically important. We'll take everything, digitize it, and just it's available through the Smithsonian uh-huh. forever. The Digi- other, digital, like it seems weird that they would like go for vinyl, right? It, like, well, they. I mean, historically, they. I mean, they have like this amazing. We never went in DC. I don't know. Maybe, well, next no, time you come, we'll okay. go. Like. They have this insane vinyl archive, wow. which is like records and records and records, like everywhere. And so with more people buying LPs in the last like five, six, eight uh-huh. years, they've started to release more stuff on LP. Huh. And like every record that I, like all the recordings that I do, like I mandatory put it out on LP. Just as like part of it, it's like metaphor of if someone's slightly interested in any of this, you have to literally take hold of it. And open it. That's why everything's a, a, a gatefold. Yeah, okay. You know? And so with this one, it's the biggest one. The The way we kind of figured out, it's like two records, either 10 inches or 7 inches. And then there's going to be a, a book, like the size of your book. Like your... Like the like a novel. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But a little bit bigger, that'll be like an art book with my photos these community photos that uh-huh. I've gone all over scanning my essay, like an essay from a couple of scholars, like basically the history of this tradition. <coughs> and then this priest in Burbank in 1997 published a cookbook of this hyper specific cuisine from a neighborhood. And he gave me permission to republish it. Whoa. So we're going to republish that cookbook as, as a, part of the record? As part of wow. the box set. Wow. So it'll be, like, you open it up like a big old two-piece, so it's like book, book, record, record. And then simultaneously, my, like, coffee table, big art book on the city of Aleppo will come out. They won't be together, but they'll, like, designed, so. Yeah. Be... So it's not like a, a religious record, necessarily. It's a cultural I mean, record. I mean, by nature, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like... It's the first Christian city, but it's more about the culture of this community, huh. dealing yeah. dealing with the culture. Uh-huh. And I mean, so one of the things that we were trying to figure out is, and we're talking about these scholars, like who is going to write the scholarly narrative, the scholarly piece to accompany my personal essay. Oh yeah. And so there's been two or three scholars that like write something, but like I'm an editor too. Like I I edit. These people who like have a career, yeah, of, like yeah. PhDs, yeah. and they run schools, and so I was like, just so you know, like I'll kind of edit what we're doing, and then we'll submit it to the Smithsonian, and then they'll edit too. And three people have backed out because they didn't like the process, oh. and most of it was ego based. Oh, and so instead of finding some outside scholar, they were like, we should just get. It's like if this priest is one of the four people on the planet. We should have him do it. And so we should get an ethnomusicologist to come interview him. And I was like, I love the idea, but now we've got like another person to have to figure out scheduling with. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to fly some other person. So just like four weeks ago, 
I cold called UCLA. I just the department. I was like, hey, they like UCLA has the world's largest ethnomusicology doctorate program. And I was like, hey, my name is Jason Hamaker. I'm with Smithsonian Folkways. I need an ethnomusicologist. I'm doing this program, this like project. Uh-huh. And I just left a message with the department chair. Didn't really th- expect anything of it. And then I called the the department's manager, like this this woman that kind of schedules everything or runs the show for whoever's in charge. And she was like, "Oh, this is interesting. You know, I'm sure we could get like a, a grad student to to help you." And I was like, "I appreciate that, but I'm actually trying to find like staff. Like this would be like a filmed." It'll be filmed. It's uh, for the Smithsonian Institute. Uh, it's like a whole thing. And she was like, what's the project again? And I was like, it's ancient Christian chanting from Aleppo, Syria. She's like, well, this is fascinating. She's like, did you talk to our chair? I was like, I left him a message. She's like, his specialty is the ancient Jewish chanting of Aleppo. Whoa. And I was like, what? Are you serious? And so, and, you know, that was a huge component of my time, too, is like photographing on these Jewish yeah. properties. So what happened then? We did the interview on Tuesday night. Like, we went and met. Uh, like we. Oh, met. that was the person that she was talking about? Yeah. Okay. And so the guy, like, <clears throat> the origins of all these faiths intersect the origins of all these musical traditions, too. Wow. So the <clears throat> professor was kind of, not nervous, but he was like, I don't know if I'm the right guy for this. I don't know anything about this. Uh-huh. I was like, but you're an expert on the Jewish tradition, and I guarantee they have to be super similar. Uh-huh. And then they were and so it was like this big epiphany and i go to his house on saturday to discuss maybe doing something larger at ucla about the intersection of the two worlds but is that is there conflict with with those two religious no hmm it seems like there would be right or am i just no i mean that's like like you know for centuries all three faiths lived in harmony all over the middle east you know it's like kind of the last but there's, but there's conflict now. Yeah, but it's but it's uh, the 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 narrative is super interesting. Like a lot of, and I'm not an expert on any of this, but uh, like the Syrian Christian belief, like that I've heard a lot of people talk about, is how the civil war in Syria was was started by all these people, all these other people. There were like 85 different nation states that came into Syria uh, and were fighting. Huh. Like there's, I mean, there's a million things about how it started and everything else and out of ignorant not ignorance but like i choose to not get involved in that conversation because it's so nuanced Uh. and there is like there's no real right answer like at this policy discussion the answer was so what do we do and like all the experts were like "Mm." wow like all of them you know like there needs to be rebuilding like Reconstruction needs to happen, uh-huh. but there's like all these political, like political roadblocks to allow reconstruction of Syria. And, and like, so all of that I know is 100% out of my depth or like I, I wouldn't even be able to yeah. participate. And so I try to focus on not the cultural aspects of, of like yesteryear, but like kind of re refocusing 
the public, not the policy people, but kind of the public's misconception of what Syria is. Okay, so so I see like your focus is on like like say like these ancient chants or or your, the projects that you're involved in, but <clears throat> how can we not like or how can you not go like? Well, there's a proxy war happening right now, and like there's like how you know Russia is is I guess right. backing Assad. So like I'm, I don't know, like it just seems like there's so much insane stuff happening. There is, I mean, there is, like yeah. there is a proxy war, but like I am, it's like I'm like this with all politics. Like everyone will say something, and like something actually is happening, different uh-huh. happening. Yeah. And like I've I've been involved with two hyper specific instances where. I was at an event seeing like a bunch of like pretty renowned people speaking and you know I I will keep everyone kind of anonymous, uh, anonymous on this but um everything that was being said from the stage was pretty inaccurate because they didn't realize they were talking about some of the stuff that I personally did and they just didn't know that I was the one that did it. Whoa. And so it was really I've never been in that position in my life. I was like, okay, like this is exactly why I don't participate. Things get skewed. Things get like everyone. And this is, it's the same thing with religion, you know, like people take experiences or facts or whatever, skew them towards whatever the argument is. And then that becomes an interpretation of what's happening in reality. Sure. Also to like taking something like, you know, you were saying like, um, what, what were you talking about? How you're like, we have more, like, there's more in common. Like, we talking, I don't know, you made oh, this with, co- the, with the, a couple seconds ago? That, but I think maybe before we were talking about it too, because I always, I always struggle with this, like, with any kind of conflict, even something simple, like, where you're, you know, like, there's, I mean, like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, a, a, an argument, you know, but like, I guarantee you, like, those two people probably have more, you know, something. Oh, oh, in, you know, oh like, I was talking about, like, right, I have more, so in, I usually Christianity. have, oh, yeah, I have yeah, more yeah, in yeah. common with atheists okay. than, than most. Than the majority of conservative Christians. Christians, okay. You know, Cause but, it's like, but even because the, it's like the thinking, because like it's your thinking about it. Yeah. You know, and like, and if you actually sit down and think, like, that will lead to questions. So where the conflict arises, it's like, and if it's <coughs> heated, you know, it's like, or you know, it's like just shit talking, and no one's li- listening to right. anyone else. So right. yeah, I get that. Because I mean, now too, it's like, I mean, I guess with the current administration in America, it's like it just seems like even more insane like we you know it's like oh we're we're like we're like communicating through twitter now you know about (laughs) like the world like the world's existence you know like the survival of the of the planet you know like even with like climate change and stuff yeah so i mean i i just it's crazy like like my approach to all of this is to come up with ideas concepts art endeavors that don't blatantly come out and do something Uh like say something but like like isn't public enough to to create a stir and so, like the last big thing I did was um, there was a performance at the Kennedy Center like the big performance space in DC of a Syrian musician and then at my art gallery I held like the official reception and debuted a new photo exhibit stuff I've never published and it was these big uh, like cityscapes of Aleppo at sundown or at night just like a completely different vision than most people ever see, even if you live there, that you don't really think about, like uh-huh. these kind of day-to-day scenes. And it was, you know, it was great. Like the reception was incredible. Like hundreds and hundreds of people came. The Washington Post did a great write-up on it. There was like international news footage came, and they did like a two-minute piece, and that ended up going viral in the Middle East. Wow! And so it was like these like little artistic endeavors 
I've come to learn over time can be pretty powerful if and they're showcasing like humanity and, exactly yeah which and, I mean we politicians are just like oh the the Syrian like I mean most Americans like don't equate right. that to human life you know like right oh, like, whatever it comes down to like rubble or refugees that's kind of like the topic yeah you know wow. and I so, mean we see it in San Diego with the refugees in Tijuana you know people just like the reaction that a lot of the refugees are getting even the rhetoric I mean when you look at like Fox News or something outside of like this actual part of the you right. know where where something's happening it's it's miss it's spun a completely different way you know right you know with the rhetoric like rapist and this and that <laughs> right. and, you know, right. come on man this is like these are like women and children like right but that's another thing too like people like I mean with the with the Assad regime like people don't really put any thought to it like yeah he's right. like killing people with like poisonous you know, or what, what was it like? Sarin gas. Yeah, like yeah, there's, yeah. There's all kind. I mean, there's for everything <clears throat> that's been in the news here. There's also a ton of stuff that's in the news everywhere else on the planet. Yeah. You know about the same. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I I subscribe to all these different okay news agencies yeah. to kind of see like both sides. Like sure. there's like a Russian news agency that always reports all this stuff. And they were like Americans pulling out of Syria, leaving everyone to die. You yeah, know, like, and but so, that's like, what Russia wants, right? I mean, I, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's 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 fascinating, and for me, it's completely odd to be semi-publicly involved with all of it. Yeah, and so that's why I just like check out these chants. Yeah, <laughs> check out these photos. Yeah. You know, again, going like showcasing. The humanity yeah. of of this part of the world, you know, yeah, yeah that's wild. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, it's, how do people get your stuff, or how can they find it? Like in a, I mean, a, it's like you can stream it everywhere, Spotify, yeah. okay. all those places. Like, you know, Lost Origins has a online web store with. The so, stuff. if like people listen to this, that would be the way to go. Yeah, Lost yeah. You know, and it's like all of this there's only I've only had two things come out like two records uh-huh. like everything else like is in the process of being made so the thing you're doing right now is like you said it's two seven inches or two ten inches it's not a lot of material huh Mm-mm. so like how much time of music is it it's like 45 minutes give or take two seven inches oh, I think it's a 10 or 12 like 10 like so so essentially what, what, like we went to New York to come up with like what's the packaging for this mm-hmm. And I really liked the two, but to have it be like two, we could make it as two 12 inches at 45. Oh, okay. But like, that's just too big. Uh-huh. Like that's a huge. Oh yeah, sure. It's a huge yeah. box. And then the production, the head of production was like, do you need to put all the chants on record? Uh-huh. I was like, I never even thought about that. I was like, I can just kind of choose a handful, but if it's two 10 inches, that's more than enough time. Okay. Two 10 inches at 33. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I could kind of choose like an, a sample of it and have like two. Because the reality is most people will stream it. You know, if yeah. they're interested in it, they'll get it. They'll get the box set to kind of have like the show archival piece. piece. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. like stream it on Spotify. Okay. <laughs> you know? Wow. And so, I mean, we haven't gone down that road yet. Like a lot of that hinges on this, like all the stuff we found. This priest in Burbank <clears throat> recorded every chant in a series of tapes. It's like nine hours worth of stuff. Uh-huh. 
every chant that every like... chant there's like hundreds and hundreds of chants wow he recorded every single one of them it's in the collection is called the Beth Gaza it's like an the ancient book like collection of prayers and uh-huh. and all this stuff and he meticulously took him three years recorded every single one of them so now I was like well we should do something with that too yeah like I'm we haven't you know I've been here but one of the ideas is to either have the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian digitize the entire collection and it would link to the album and all that kind of stuff but you know like it's everything's an idea until it actually happens yeah of course and you seem to have a lot of those ideas <laughs> right, right. exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean I, I I remember like kind of hearing about like oh I'm in Syria or like I have this art show and then you're, then I'll get a text be like dude you want to come out and be, do this Misfits cover band and I'm like no I, I can't afford that I, you know, how, how, did, how did that come into play you know so I do wonder about the things that you uh... well like now so I I'm like one of the ideas I've been kind of kicking around is this Syrian musician in New York basically started a nonprofit about like the preservation of Syrian music. And he, he asked me if I'd do a record for him. Like he's a violinist and they, do you know the, the instrument, the Oud? Oh, like you would release his, his yeah, record. Early, yeah. at, least, or at least record it. Okay. Um, and so he's come up with an idea of, he has an ensemble to record like a lesser known piece of Arabic music. Uh-huh. And so I was like, dude, what, you know, it's like, it's like, what if we did it at the library of Congress? Wow. And he was like, is that possible? Is it probably? Let <laughs> yeah. me see what I can pull yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. And the Library of Congress has a collection of priceless Stradivarius violins that are 400 years old Whoa. that are on donation and they have to be played. So, Whoa. so one of the things I was thinking, I was like, I can't think of a bitter, bigger middle finger to what's happening <laughs> in the United States. Wow. I have a bunch of Syrians at the Library of Congress played the world's most renowned string instruments uh-huh. for Arabic music that very few people ever know. Wow. You know? And the ironic thing is the middle finger will just go over everyone's head. Yeah, That's, totally. Yeah. But it will be on record and like, and yeah. whatever. Yeah. But like, they're into it. You know, like wow. I had a big meeting about uh-huh. it like a week or two ago and we had a big discussion about it. And so now I have to like formalize the concept on paper. Yeah. But he's like, this is a great idea. Yeah. And, I I wonder like the way that you came up with that is like yeah I played drums in the back of a pickup truck moving you know <laughs> like like you know what I'm saying like we come from this world where you're like anything can happen like I'll play in a bowling alley I'll play in a you know the library yeah. of congress like it can happen where like most people will be like huh like I you know well, don't I- one of the one of like in this world that I now kind of find myself in I keep kind of having to explain my thought process to everyone so, because everyone's like, "Well, how are we going to get the funding for that?" I was like, "I'm not concerned about funding yet. Let's get the idea first. Uh-huh. Like, let's not limit ourselves by what you think it's going to cost." Which, which I'm trying to like circle back to to like your your like punk ethics and your punk ideology, yeah. which a lot of people do, unfortunately don't have. You know, so well, thinking... it's just like it's a total. Yeah, and and that's the thing that's great about Jim as well, is you know dealing with all these like extremely like they're not famous in our country like extremely famous syrian musicians and opera singers and everything. like don't worry about it it will be taken care of uh-huh. let me get my mental like mental game together yeah and then we'll figure it out and you're like by the way syrian musician the dude was in guar that's the most insane 
thing coming into like one world, you know? Yeah. What? It's yeah. It's I mean, it's wild. I mean, the one of the most smallest, smallest world thing in 2008, I got hired by this um, Jewish museum in New York as their photographer and their explorer. And so like straight up Indiana Jones. And for real, I have a it was like explorer, you uh-huh. know, and um, they sent me with a with a professor to Syria and the, prof- <laughs> the professor was like, when we go. So the, the deal was this, this professor is like one of the world experts on Aleppo, but hadn't been since he was like an infant. He's like in his 70s. And then I'm like the young guy that knows every knows how to get everywhere in the city, mm-hmm. but doesn't know anything of what I'm looking at. You yeah. Know? So it's oh, like, sure. It's like the learned professor yeah. and the young <laughs> photographer, like together. You know. And so he was like, "We have to make sure we get to this one area called Souk Jumruk. It's like my wife's family has a lot of property there, and it would be great that I could get my father-in-law some photographs." It's like, sure. He's like, "Yeah, the Pachoto family were an extremely influential family." In Syria, I was like the what family? He's like Pachoto. I was like, I was like, how do you spell that? I was like, that's weird. I was like, I have a music friend. He's in a huge band. That's his last name. Who? Gee. Oh yeah. Whoa. And he was like, oh, that's my nephew. I was like, what? I was like, of course. It's like someone from you're related to the guitarist of Fugazi. Wow. And so he was like, oh, yeah, the Pachota family, they were huge in the Syrian Jewish community. I was like, Guy is a Syrian Jew? I was like, does he even know? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> Syria, that word. And so uh, I couldn't, like, I couldn't believe it. So, like, here I am. I'm like, so we went and uh, we were there for, like, two months. And we, we were given, like, high-level access by the president, uh-huh. by Assad, to go and explore all these Jewish properties. It was the first time since the inception of Israel that we were allowed to, like, comb through the, all these ancient synagogues and all of this stuff. And, and I photographed every square inch of all these ancient sites. And I was in, like, the ancient hall. And when I mean ancient, it's attributed to King David's general like built like 3000 something years ago. Uh-huh. And then the current state of the building was like 1600 years old. It was the oldest continuous, continuously used building in the city of Aleppo. Uh-huh. And so everything was just kind of overwhelming and incredible. And the professor called me, he's like, Jason, I'm in the graveyard, which is behind the synagogue. He's like, I'm in the graveyard and I just moved a piece of wood and there's a room off the graveyard. He's like, but it's filled with trash. Like, I'll be there. It's <laughs> so like, uh-huh. I go and to get in the graveyard quickly, you get up on the roof and then you jump off the roof down in this little graveyard that's like the size of this studio. And then there was a board that was leaning up against the wall. He took the board off and looked down, just filled like to the ceiling with trash. So I just... Like what it, kind of trash? Like, just like... Plant debris, just whatever. Uh-huh. Like plant debris, like plants... Uh, tin cans uh-huh. like instead of like taking out the trash people just throw it in this room wow um, so I went in it was like pitch dark and just did a handful of photographs with my like full flash to see what was in there and then <clears throat> I went back to my hotel room and analyzed it and in the floor there's like this big wooden beam 
I was like, dude, that's a doorway. Like, there's a doorway in the ground underneath all this trash. And so I asked the museum, I was like, hey, we just found, like, a room off the synagogue. Are you cool if we try to, like, see what's in there? Like, go for it. (laughs) So we cleared all this trash out and found eight tombs inside this room. And then uh, when I went... To, to like photograph that we're like holy crap okay this is like a like in near memory a lost room of tombs uh-huh. then I went to take photos of that and was clearing the soil to sit down on the ground to photograph everything so I cleared and there was a stone I was like interesting pulled the stone out more really loose dirt pulled that out I was like dude this is blocking something like this is crazy and I'm by myself. I'm literally alone. Uh-huh. And we just, I just keep taking out like soccer ball size boulders, uh-huh. like stacked and like move it. And then they started going in. I was like, dude, I am uncovering a chamber. It's like, this uh-huh. is so crazy. Uh-huh. And it kept going and it got to the point where I felt it was dangerous because I was so far in through this wall. So I started picking stuff up with my legs and doing it. <sighs> And then it got to the point, point. this is in darkness. I don't have a flashlight or anything. Like, and I got to the point where my eyes were kind of, you can kind of see around. Uh-huh. And then I pull one out and it was just black. I was like, dude, there is a room inside of the room. I pulled another one straight up Indiana Jones, all cobwebs attached uh-huh. to it and air whoo, shot out of the ground. I was like, holy cow. And then I took my, my camera and flashed in the room and there was just like a whole bunch of other tombs and a bunch of pottery and it was it, <laughs> i yelled i found tombs and then i felt lame uh-huh. i was like just no one could hear me yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. but like it was wild so we cleaned all that out and the oldest tomb in that room was one of Guy's relatives wow i was like i was like of course so how old were they maybe these like... were not crazy old no. i mean you know, it wasn't like 2,000 years, like four yeah. or 500 years or something wow. like that. And so, like, I, I came home. I was like, you will not believe the adventure that I've been on. Uh-huh. He was like, yeah, we have a big, like... Who, Tagui? Yeah, Tagui. Yeah, yeah. He was like, we have a big family, like, reunion this year. He's like, I think I'm going to go. He's like, I don't know about any of this. And then I was telling the other Fugazi guys, and they were like, well, that makes sense. I was like, how does that make sense? <laughs> and they, they were like, everywhere we would go on the planet, Guy would have some relative that's like a diplomat or someone uh-huh. that would show up in like the recesses of the planet. Like it would make like doesn't surprise us at all yeah. that he comes from some influential Syrian family. Like I found a Torah scrolls that were hundreds of years old with this family name on it that they donated to the community. I mean, wow. it's just crazy, you know. And so, like everywhere I go. Literally everywhere I've ever been on the planet, it always intersects with punk rock or DC hardcore in some way or another. Wow. That says a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I was expecting just when you're telling the story about like a big boulder roll in, like, you know, the Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have been something like that. I was in Turkey. <laughs> of course, yeah. Okay. Let's hear this one. So... This whole thing started, I was on tour with International Noise Conspiracy, uh-huh. and they played Coachella, 
and and then we were playing in Greece. Like, and I was just selling shirts or whatever. And so I stayed and flew into deep eastern Turkey and then drove like 4,000 miles over the course of like a week going to all these ancient sites and all these places. This is how I found out about a lot of this community. And there was a place that was like a salt cave. Like just like a little thing in the Lonely Planet, like a little text box. And I was like, cool, I'll go check out a salt cave. And then... A salt or a salt? Salt, like... Oh, okay, like salt cave. The yeah. mineral. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, was a, it was the cave that verbal assault... No, <laughs> <laughs> and so essentially, like, I just parked... And this is, like, very, very, very remote. Like, I, I, I hadn't spoken to anyone for a couple days. You wow. Know? Like, there's, like, just no one around. Uh-huh. And so parked my car, walked up this hill, and it was, like, a big open cave... But it kind of turned up, and there was an opening on the other side that was like open to the sky, and it was just filled with salt. So I could have a bunch of photos of this. So I have my camera on a tripod, taking photos, and I just hear, I just hear rocks falling, and then like I kind of turned a corner, like to kind of try to look up, and you just see dust coming down like holy crap and then ran to the mouth it was too steep you couldn't like jump out there was a straight up rock slide like uh-huh. and it came down it like it it did not smash my camera but like it rained down knocked my camera over and like it was terrifying yeah sure and i just got in the car and left it's like i'm out <laughs> it's like, yeah you would have been injured and like that's it life yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. Not, no one's yeah, gonna yeah. find you yeah unless someone finally like looks at like who's parked here <laughs> yeah. Whose car is here? Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Um, let's wild. take a shift to your music. Can we do that? Yeah. Because I'm kind of, I mean, I know a lot, and I'm not sure which part we should you know, get into, but like, let, I mean, let's talk about how you got into punk and, and how, and like, well, like, yeah. Fortis wasn't your first band, right? No. But it was like your first kind of like, it was the first band that like I got super active with. Yeah. Like I, you know, I grew up on the beaches in Florida and super into metal. Like I was like on the way here just cause I was getting like the traffic sucks so yeah. bad in the rain. I just threw on Metallica 598 EP mm-hmm. and you know, that's the one where they cover the misfits. Yeah. It's like, that's garage days, right? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of like the Genesis for me kind of coming into that world. Like I was like a metal kid Yeah, and then, um, my friend's older sister was dating a skinhead and he stole a tape from his house or his car. And so we were just listening to it. Like I was listening to like, Sepultura, Creator, mm-hmm. Metallica, and then this other tape. And we had no, it was unlabeled. It was just whatever. And it took us like several months to find out it was Minor Threat, Dead Kennedys, and the Circle Jerks. And then it was kind of over at that point. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm talking about. And then I would go to this record store called Play It Again Records in Melbourne, Florida. And, you know, they sold everything. They sold, like, metal tapes, but they also had a bunch of hardcore and punk stuff. And being the son of a minister, you know, my dad's a Southern Baptist minister, here's Revelation Records. And I was like, oh, sick. This is a Christian label. My parents, (laughs) my parents will probably buy it for me. You know, and then it was the week that the Inside Out seven inch came out. No spiritual surrender. Oh wow! I was like, awesome. Like, Wait, how old are you? How old am I? Yeah, forty two. So it's like Revelation nine or yeah, something like okay. that. It's like eighty nine, yeah. yeah, or ninety or something. Uh-huh. And so, 
you know, my, my first collection, the first seven inches I bought were Insight, like that early yeah. victory band, yeah. Uniform Choice, Split, like uh, the demo. This is all stuff from like 1990. Uh-huh. And then um, the band Go from New York. Oh, yeah. And then, and then. How did that get into the mix? They just sold everything at this place. No, but I mean, like, I see, like, there's like a, you know, like, kind of hardcore straight edge. And then Go is like, I remember Go just, because they had that one song, like, this Power one goes out to you, dreadlock motherfucker, or whatever. I'm like, dude, because they were, like, all gay, right? Or yeah. He, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah I was like, totally. and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Because I remember, like, thinking, like, oh, I guess I can't like Bad Brains now because they're homophobic, <laughs> you know? And I like, the, I like Big Boys, and I like all these other yeah. bands, you know? But I remember, like, Go kind of seemed like, super gnarly yeah like they like there was um there was a zine from melbourne florida called outback fanzine oh yeah like i mean that's who ran i mean that was where i lived and they ran a radio show too Uh and so him and john white this guy named was craig chapman john white was the original singer for brotherhood and had moved to central florida to go to florida institute of technology Uh which was in melbourne so we would find out about like hardcore stuff because this dude from Brotherhood was yeah. going to school this little podunk central Florida town. Yeah. And so there was like a handful of like dudes that really knew and they they ran the record store. So wow. it's like it wasn't just like stereotypical stuff either. It's like pretty serious deep cuts. But did you ever like maybe not maybe I don't know like struggle with with no uh no um pun yeah. intended um but like try to have the issue with with like punk being like kind of anti-religion and then I mean, like having of. I mean like but did also, you, I also mean, it was like it was more about the music and again like I mean we were young so yeah. it's like you know I just grew up in church it wasn't like this like formative like I would get your parents didn't care though well my <laughs> yes and no <laughs> uh-huh. like my father is about as moderate as you can get. Uh-huh. My mother was a little bit more conservative. Like, getting into the misfits and stuff, I remember being in sixth grade and listening to Legacy of Brutality. Oh, yeah. And my mom comes home. It's the first time I ever heard my mom swear. She's oh, like, yeah. Angel fuck? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> she's like, not in my house. Yeah. And then through the tape, I was uh, like, uh. I was like, listen to it. It sounds like 50s Elvis. music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? My dad freaked out on that too, and I was like, "That's it, I like it now." If you if you hate it, like, yeah, Angel fucking whatever else. He's like, "Garbage man," like what you know, like the cramps because I had those two tapes. Right. But it was suicidal tendencies. Then they were like, "What is this?" You know. Mine was Testament, uh, where they were like Testament, <laughs> and so it, it was. So, I mean, I didn't even like Testament that much. Yeah. And the thing that is my favorite, like, parental karma story is my parents love Trans-Siberian Orchestra, right? The Christmas music. That is the guitarist of Testament. What do you mean? He's the guy that started and does Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Really? So my, I took my parents like 18 years ago or something. We yeah. went to a concert and I was like, this is a heavy metal Christmas. I was like, you guys like this? And I was like, who are these guys? And I tried to look it up. I was like, I was like, mom... Remember the tape you smashed in the in the <laughs> like, in the driveway in Florida? Yeah, he makes your favorite Christmas music. Wow, <laughs> that's real then. That's that, yeah. That re- wow, that is really crazy. Yeah, totally. And then of course, four years ago, he released some world music album, uh-huh. and we had the same publicists. So I actually got to meet him. Oh yeah. And like I have a photo yeah, of yeah, me yeah, with t- him, and <laughs> I got to send it to my mom. That's yeah. great. 
Okay, so Frodis and then and then. So essentially, you know, I started like we were in like a hardcore band called Headlock. <laughs> okay. On the beach of Florida, we sound like Judge. Uh-huh. And then I moved, I moved to DC, and just like I went to a school with like five thousand people. It was like one other kid that liked the music I listened to, uh-huh. being born against life's blood, but also like metal. Like it was like one other guy. Like all the other musicians were more into like Dinosaur Junior. Oh, I was yeah. like, man, I'm just. <laughs> I don't like overalls. I don't like, like the whole thing. Like I wasn't into. Like I don't play guitar. Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. like the singing. I don't like any. I didn't like any singing. If like I didn't like Anthrax. I didn't like Iron Maiden. Like uh-huh. screaming only. That is it. <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And so uh, this is right about the time Born Against had moved to Richmond. And so I was like, dude, like we need. I need to be in a band that sounds like this. And then. That never happened, and then I met Shelby, and we started. Frod- yeah. We started Frodus in like '93. But Frodus seems like in the realm of, of yeah. born against. You yeah, know? I mean, like, and of course, like we were in eleventh grade, and it started off way more jokey or satirical yeah. than what it kind of morphed into being. And then, of course, being on tour, that's when he's you know we everyone always you know, where we met, and yeah. like, and then you start kind of like meeting all these other people, yeah. and kind of morphs in from there. I mean, it morphs in in, in to like an extent, an insane extent. Thinking about like the whole yeah. thing with like Guy is blows my mind. Or <laughs> that, that's right. so wild. Um, okay, so then what happened? You you, I mean, you still play, you know? Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, so so. Frodus was super active, and then I joined Battery, like the Straight Edge band, and then toured simultaneously with both bands for several years. Then. My girlfriend at the time, you know, got sick with cancer and ended up passing away and I quit everything. And then when Frodus breaks up, it was a really interesting, pivotal moment. Converge lost her drummer and Dillinger Escape Plan lost her singer. This was right before Patton joined and did the EP with Converge. So oh, wait, Dillinger. Yeah. yeah. So Dillinger asked Shelby if he'd want to sing in, Conver- in Dillinger Escape Plan. Whoa. And then Converge asked me if I wanted to try out. Wait, did both of those happen? We never did it. Oh. Like, I was, like, part of it was I was going to cancer treatments with Alana in Boston. Uh-huh. And uh, and the guys were like, well, do you want to try out? And I was like, dude, I would love to try out. It's like, but it kind of depends on the health of my girlfriend. I don't yeah. really know. And yeah. they were like, this is way too heavy. Yeah. And they had met her and she was around and stuff. Like, this is way too heavy. The the tin can full of dreams. That whole that was ninety eight, uh-huh. right? When we all met. Yeah, yeah. Like I ended up going home early because I'd like I hadn't seen her forever, and it you know it was like everything yeah. just kind of got really heavy really fast, and so I just bowed out of music. I just huh. stopped. Like I went down to Peru, and be, like kind of just left. Like I did. It was too. The music component was too heavy for me to deal with. And then also, you know, all of my friends released, like, these amazing records. Uh-huh. Everyone always like, oh, do you like this? Do you like this? I was like, well, here are the three records that I'm going to compare it to. Converge, Don't Just Skate Plan, or Locust. Is it better than any of these three? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But seriously, like, from our, it was a pretty serious standard uh-huh. that I kind of felt like we were a part of. Yeah. And like a lot of people were influenced by the chaotic craziness of you guys, uh-huh. the insanity musically of 
Dillinger Escape Plan, I mean, Botch 2, but Botch didn't tour nearly as much as Dillinger, and then Converge is just their own entity. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I just, I learned how to enjoy being by myself, which was something that I, you know, I just toured. That was it. Yeah, yeah. You know, or like work some lame job. Yeah. So it was like kind of being forced to restart myself. Like the worst day of my life was the last Rotus record. Uh, we were approached by Sub Pop. This is before, right about the time they were also asking Have to Drive In uh-huh. to be on Sub Pop too. And so it was like, you know, we were kind of in that, like we had left uh, Tooth and Nail in Seattle. We were just like, we don't fit anymore. Like, we never really fit to begin with, and they were trying to do, like, a different direction, and then it was just, like, clear. We just didn't fit whatsoever, and then people at Sub Pop heard that we left, and we were writing this last record, and so if we were going to... And, and, you know, everyone in Frodus was, like, tired at this point, you know? Like, this was after the... Right after Refuse tour, where Refused breaks up on tour, and, like, everything's just kind of, like, shitty. And so during one week in 2099, at the beginning of the week, Alana gets diagnosed with cancer. Three days later, Shelby's dad has a stroke, goes half paralyzed, goes half paralyzed while driving, gets in a car accident. And our bass player, Nathan, was in Scotland. Like, he, he went to school there. He was, like, visiting, and his girlfriend, he finds out his girlfriend's cheating on him. This is all within five days of each other. You're like, God, man, this is just rough. Uh-huh. And then we end up like writing our last record, and then everyone was just tired. And so, if we wanted to actually tour, like, and and it was like a really narrow. It was like Sub Pop slash whatever the record label was, like Hollywood Records, whoever bought Sub Pop out, uh-huh. like a major label was involved in some way, uh-huh. had like a very narrow definition of what like a tour cycle was. Uh-huh. It was like two three week tours in the united states and then one in 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 europe and i was like nine weeks i was like we do 12 weeks together yeah, like, yeah it's not yeah, a big deal yeah. <clears throat> so like if we were going to do like a bigger tour like if we wanted to do that route we were going to do we were talking about sub pop and then if not slow dime the you know what juan carrera ended up running from dc they were kind of like going to be the discord the newer discord they said they would put out the record. And so I go, and at that point, I was working at Furnace Manufacturing, uh-huh. and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't go to work with my girlfriend dying in a bed, you know, in Maryland. So I had to talk with my parents, just like, I don't think I want to work right now. Like, like basically, will you help me survive while we deal with a lot of sickness? So that morning, I had that talk with my parents. I go to this Frodus band meeting to discuss Sub Pop versus Slow Dime, and the other guys say that they want the band to break up. And I was like, okay. And then I go home. I'm in the car. I go home to call Alana to tell her what the hell just happened, and that's the first day she felt her sickness. Like, she felt she was dying. I was like, God damn, this yeah. is crazy. So maybe it was like a... Uh like a blessing, I guess. You know? yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, and so like everything just came down all at once. And that kind of tends how my life tends to be. And I just like, man, this is just nuts. And yeah. then she died and I just left, you know? 
And then I came back. One of the first shows I went to was Converge at the Auto Bar. And I was like, that's the first musical regret I ever, like, ever. Wow. I was like, shit, this record's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, Jade was heavy. Yeah. Then the next one was like, early. It was like, you guys in Andrew WK. Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like, like it, it. I don't remember where it was. Nine thirty. Yeah, but so it was like like all this heaviness, and then we end up kind of redoing it and doing Decahedron and with Joe and all that stuff. But now, fast forward to current, with all of this Syria related stuff. You know, I opened and run an art gallery now in yeah. DC. Like, I'm still a massage therapist. Yeah. Like, where did that come into play? So. When I came home from Peru, I needed a job. So I went, I came home from Peru and went down to Florida and we we're going to do combat wounded veteran full time. Yeah. And just no one was ready. And it just, it just didn't make any sense. And I like, I was at, that was like some of the shows we did with you guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Totally. And so I went to the misfits, hot water music, Murphy's law, Dillinger skate plan show in Orlando, Florida. That sounds horrible. Dude. And this Nazi <laughs> breaks my foot. This guy's like moshing in the pit and like jumped up and like I was just kind of on the edge and he just like smashed my foot and like broke it. I was uh. like, dude, I'm, I was like, man, I'm going home. This sucks. Yeah. Like, and I knew he was a Nazi. He had like a swastika tattoo <laughs> and he had like no remorse tattooed across his wow. back. I was like, dude, right. this, I'm just going home. Yeah. And so, uh, I needed a job. And so a friend of mine was like, Hey, you should come work at this med spa. And I was like, no. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I would just, no. Yeah. Like, like, you need a job. I was like, it's a med spa. It's like, I'm not doing it. Yeah. She was like, have you ever been in one? I was like, of course not. <laughs> like, like, so you're saying no to something you don't even Yeah, know. I mean, it was like, you know, this is when Sex in the City got really popular. And, <laughs> and I'm just expecting, like, lace and cucumbers only. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know, I was like, yeah. man, I just toured Japan. Like, I'm not going to some spa in the mall uh-huh she's like you need a job and i will hire you if you come and it makes sense and so i was like whatever fine so i go and it's like the total opposite of everything that yeah. i think this is this is like late october of of 2000 <laughs> and i take the job because it's just weird yeah like, it's almost like um like sports like injury and stuff right or no no nope. it's like it's like super high-end like skincare. oh okay like most all of it is skincare, uh-huh. <clears throat> and then there was a massage therapist there who was romanian and uh had worked in romanian hospitals for like 20 years before coming to the united states and i was just like fascinated with all of her stories uh-huh. and so through a long series of events, like I ended up leaving that company and then I, you know, I did that tour with international noise conspiracy and then came home and was like, I need to do something. Yeah. And massage school wasn't that expensive back yeah. then. And I was like, screw it. I'll just go to massage school. Yeah. And then being a drummer, like naturally lent itself to that whole field sure. and the way my brain works worked really well too. Yeah. And so, I mean, I still massage therapist. Yeah. Like it's been 17 years. Wow. You know? I mean, some of those stories you tell me were insane about <laughs> the dudes with boners and stuff like that. I just couldn't. Yeah, that was definitely like questionable. Like, I don't know if this is a good decision. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I want to I want to dive into one maybe last story and to kind of wrap it up. And it's the um, 
the story you told me about when you're out with Dillinger and the Dave Mustaine thing that happened. <laughs> so I, I think it's like, <laughs> it's one of the best stories. Can we, can we just, can you just tell it? Yes. Cause it involves, it actually involves massage therapy. I know. That's why, so, which is also on your Wikipedia <laughs> that you went on the, what was the name of it? Gigantor. Gigantor. Really? Yeah. yeah that's on your Wikipedia. I don't too. even know. I don't know. It said that you went as a massage therapist for Ben. Yeah. So essentially, 2005. It, this it's actually the this is a great like inter, it's the intersection of everything. So this was in like late August or September of 2005. I had just stumbled into all this serious stuff. Um, I had just gone to New Jersey, which is where Ben is from, to meet with the Archbishop. Like all this stuff happened, and then I was engaged my wedding was in uh, was in november of 2005 ben calls me and just was like hey are you licensed that was it yeah. i was like to drive I was like, of course <laughs> he was like no because no, i was like i thought he was wanting me to like drive dillinger escape oh yeah, yeah i was like i was like well i can't do like big buses or whatever yeah and he's like no i was a massage therapist i was like yes i'm licensed <laughs> like what are you talking about he's like i just got hit by a truck like he was driving in like a delivery truck, like rammed him uh-huh. and he tore his rotator cuff and herniated a disc. He's like, um, we just got asked to do this big festival tour with like all these metal bands and I need a massage therapist to go on tours. Like, would you be up for it? Yeah. Like, it's like, I need to talk to my fiance about this. It's like, how long is the tour? He's like, it's like six weeks. And I like, would I actually get paid? He's like, we can figure all that out. And I was like, what bands? He's like, Megadeth? I was like, done. <laughs> Let's do this, dude. I was like, are we actually going to hang with Megadeth? He was like, maybe. And so there were like two stages. It was like most shows were like these big like two stages. It was like Megadeth, Dream Theater, Fear Factory, um, some like power metal band, and then Life of Agony, Dillinger Escape Plan, some like other bands like bought themselves on tour uh. and it was a weird scenario and in th- this is right when Dave Mustaine went sober and actually became Christian yeah and I heard about it yeah. and I was like dude I'm gonna talk faith with the freaking guy from Megadeth I was like this is gonna be so awesome and the but whole- not like in a awesome like go god way like kind of like awesome like we're gonna like you were gonna like kind of mess with them well right? i just i just wanted to be like dude like you were in metallica yeah. and that like 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 <laughs> i didn't know what to expect like i just want like to have like a social interaction and i figured like we could have like some at least some very basic common ground yeah you know regardless okay. of who actually believes yeah. what like yeah like hey i'm with you you know yeah. whatever yeah <laughs> and so dillinger's game plan was like hyper insane on this tour uh-huh. and like none of the tour staff could handle it like they would have like an empty like an empty guitar cabinet that greg would just like throw into the like throw a guitar cabinet yeah and like everyone was kind of freaking out and we were backstage and mustaine walked in and then everyone was just like quiet we're like this is like early on in the tour. This is like day three. Uh-huh, okay. It was it was day three, and they were already talking about kicking Dillinger Escape Plan off the tour. Okay, like for insurance purposes. Because because like didn't Greg just like chuck like symbol stands? Yeah, yeah, symbol sh- stands. Yeah. Like all this, it was like it was kind of chaotic. And this is the first like 
I'm not good if I'm not playing on tour. Like my nefarious side really oh, comes. Yeah. Like we started a riot. I mean, it was like it was it was it was kind of wild. And, <laughs> and so, uh, day two, like Mustaine comes backstage. He's like, "Look, I've done a lot of crazy stuff, and you guys are okay. No one's gonna get kicked off." And everyone's like, "Oh, okay, this is awesome." He's like, "I'm really excited that you guys are on this tour." Let me know if you need anything. And I was like, dude, we need goddamn Polaris every night. <laughs> I love that song. And he just looks at me. He's like, and then just leaves. Does not even, uh, does not acknowledge that I said a word. I was like, well, what was that? This sucked. Yeah. Fast forward to like week two. We were at this place called like, the, it's in Milwaukee. It, it, it was like, uh, most of them were like smaller arenas, but there's like a club that held like 2000 people. And, Food service was all at the same time. So it was the only time every band was together. Uh-huh. I think it was called like The Rage or something. It used to, like, rumor was that this place was the head of the American Nazi Party in the 20s or something. Wow. So it was like all these like weird rumors surrounding the show. And then everyone was in the room <clears throat> together. And the entire backstage is littered with photographs. Just like wall-to-wall pictures of people that played there or whatever. And everyone's tables are like round tables and it's spaghetti. It's just like tour food. Yeah. Spaghetti and like white bread, whatever. Yeah. And the Dillinger crew were all sitting here and Mustaine is going around looking at the walls. And dude, right at the end of our table is Metallica photos from 1991. Classic Hetfield, all in black, you know, like the classic Metallica photos. And this is right when that movie came out, Some Kind of Monster, uh-huh. where everyone, like, where Dave, like, had a breakdown on yeah. the film. <laughs> yeah. That came out yeah. right before this tour. So everyone kind of knows. He's, like, in this, like, sensitive state of mind. Uh-huh. He gets to the Metallica photo and stops moving. So much so, everyone's like, uh, what's happening? And then it got super uncomfortable, where an entire... Everyone had flip phones. The entire backstage, everyone started slowly <laughs> raising their flip phones to take photos of this. And then, of course, Greg from Dillinger yells, Mustaine's having a breakdown! <laughs> and everyone just, like, hands in their foot. Like, no one could believe you oh, yelled yeah. that? I thought you yelled it. it no, 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 no. Okay. I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> no. Greg yells, Mustaine's having a breakdown. Yeah. And then he was like, he had like a, a pastor slash maybe like a sponsor or something on tour, come and put his arm around him and walk him to this balcony. And they just like stared off in like on this balcony for like 20, 30 minutes. We were just like, dude, this is absolutely bonkers. So how much longer until Dillinger got kicked off? Um, Ben actually, <laughs> Ben actually hurt his arm like substantially. Like he like was on like the base cabinet, like mm-hmm. really high up and like mm-hmm. something fell. Yeah. You seem you think like at that point and you're like, I have to tour the massage therapist, you just don't jump off a of shit. Well part of it and this was actually it's I was like from a professional standpoint, like <clears throat> I came up with all sorts of routines. Like it's rare to work on someone every day, mm-hmm. let alone your friend, yeah. let alone for hours. So yeah. like I do like two hours on Ben almost every day. Like we just hang out. And then I developed like all these like really advanced back routines and shoulder routines on this tour. Uh-huh. And then 
I had a little bit of experience with shoulder, like Luda from International Noise Conspiracy had terrible scoliosis. And when they were recording with Rick Rubin here, this is in 2002, uh, I came out to just hang out and ended up going to whichever massage place that Rick Rubin suggested. Uh-huh. And so it was like this like acupuncture place and they did like all this shoulder stuff with me too. And so it was like between Rick Rubin's massage therapist and then this thing with Ben, like I developed these highly specific therapies that I still use now. So Rick Rubin didn't, I would think he would go to like a sketchy one. Every time I've seen that guy, he's like got like really young, hot girls with him. And I'm like, (laughs) like what's going on here, man? It was just, it was just some like Asian place, like in the Mm. hill somewhere. Huh? That's crazy. So that was so they didn't get kicked off for that. I, I would have expected no, it. or like, I would have expected you to do something to get them kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> I mean, there was dude, there was several times. Like there was this I won't use everyone's name. There was this guy that was like from the record industry that was just around. He's like old school New York. His name like he's like, hey, hey, yeah. hey. He would always introduce people as like the wrong band and stuff like <laughs> on stage. And <laughs> <laughs> the Chris Penny, the drummer for Dillinger and I had a thing called Team Bum Out, which was like if something lame was happening, he'd be like, dude, Team Bum Out, meet uh, me at this bus. Yeah. And then we would stand next to each other and just ruin the moment uh-huh. for whatever was happening. <laughs> yeah. And so we he was like, dude, this is the best one. Get here. It's this like older guy he's on drugs or whatever was happening, hammered. Making out with these two girls. He has, his, he has his like pants around his ankles just outside. So Chris and I, and he had his hand up this girl's skirt. Uh-huh. Got within three inches of him on either <laughs> side. And I would scream with pants off. And then Chris would yell against the bus as it was actually happening. Wow. Like, you know, like call and response. Like, yeah. pants off! Like in his ear. Yeah. As he's like <laughs> totally out of it. Uh-huh. And it became like this like war cry on tour. He had no memory of doing it. Uh-huh. So we got to the point where we would have like thousands of people in the audience yelling, pants off against the bus. Pants <laughs> off against the bus. And then have the guy like walk out on stage, like totally clueless yeah, of yeah. what it would happen. Yeah. And then I wrote a blog post about it. And he called and like lightly threatened me. Uh, I was like, he probably is connected. I'm going to change everyone's name. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> you know? That's great. Wow. All right. All right. Do you got any other... You want to, you have any Danzig stories? No. Uh, other than... Dry, you know, I've got an almost nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and they don't really like any music that I play. Uh-huh. Forever, they just assumed whatever they heard on the radio was me playing like is this you it's like no this is Whitney Houston like I don't sound like this whatsoever and so maybe just like maybe like a month ago I thought it would be funny to just play them parts of songs or everyone's just screaming oh yeah so it's like it starts off with the uniform choice yeah Uh and then like I would just cut to something else and then Danzig too there's a lot of just like him yelling on Danzig too (laughs) so we just would like listen to Danzig like portions of Danzig too with him yelling (laughs) we gotta get you a Danzig I mean I think it'd be such a great story if you like I yeah I've never I don't think I've ever met Danzig yeah it's interesting 
Yeah. It's like a weird, I assume. Yeah. Anyhow. I'm in a new band. <laughs> which which one? Zealot. I'm psyched. We're going to start playing shows really soon. All right. It's Who? me and Mike from Darkest Hour. Oh, yeah, of course. And Blake from Pig Destroyer. Okay. Wow. He's like their noise guy. He's uh-huh. singing. It sounds kind of like Entombed meets Slayer meets Jesus Lizard, like wow. super heavy. That's good. It's the closest drumming I've ever done to like actually just playing like Slayer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm psyched. Like, uh, we have almost a full length of worth of stuff. That's great. Yeah. That's rad. Mm-hmm. Good. No regents, though. I mean, everyone moved. I know. And then we were supposed to play a festival, and then it's like, like this, I was like, hey, I can't do it. All of my photos just got accepted in the Library of Congress. They're mm. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have to do like all this. like. I heard about that, actually. Catalog. From, from your other bandmates. <laughs> They're all bummed. <laughs> and I was like, wait, that's a kind of a big deal, dude. Like, I don't know. Okay, I get it, but it's just, you know, just a hardcore show or fest or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. And, it, you know, it was like, and then like, yeah, there was just like all these things happening. David, David Neesmith always has some weird idea, uh-huh. right? He was the one that, you know, always did like the weird men's recovery projects. Yeah. So maybe eight days ago, he's like, hey, I've got this idea. Years ago, it's maybe like 10 years ago, he did a, <laughs> we did a band called Music to Our Ears. It's one performance. <laughs> And the idea is you dress up like something and then all of the sounds are related to it and that's music to the ears. It's very Men's Recovery Project. Yeah. Everyone was dressed up like a clown. There's two guitars and electronic drum set and everything was like laughing and then even the drums were like triggered laughs. Yeah, okay. Right? Uh-huh. And just everyone in the audience was like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, what is this? And he's like, dude, we got to do another show. I was like, do we? <laughs> He's like, but this one's about lawyers. Oh, my God. And I was like, okay, talk to me. He was like, everything will be related to something with money or lawyers. And so David and the other guy that play guitar have bought these guns that shoot dollar bills. Like, Whoa. Oh, yeah. Like in strip club stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Uh-huh. And so he wants to do another show. That sounds great. Another, another show where everyone dresses up. And like suits, but maybe with the um, the Monopoly guy, oh, like yeah. the Monopoly yeah. mask. Yeah. And then so it's kind of like so people really don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah. And then like do another weird show. That sounds great. Yeah. You can do it on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I well, mean, the, so yeah, yeah, that's that's what I got. That's rad. People should go and look. You, the Regents' um, performance of you playing in the back of that pickup truck is on YouTube. So people should. Is it? Yeah. That's the. I wasn't there and I saw it. <laughs> you weren't there. I was there, but not at the performance. Oh right. I just no, remember Rob was the. I remember N- seeing you play. Nero's guys. Yeah, all these like thug motherfuckers Dude, were sitting around. Like we should tell the story because it was kind of. because it's like it was not good musically though. Like no, it was yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's kind of the point. So so the idea was it was it was like this thing at South by Southwest, and we played some like bad part of town. Yeah. And when I mean bad, like literally, it was like an outdoor venue, and there was an alley, and on the other side of the alley, legitimate drug deals and crack and heroin were being actively used. Why we play outside? Yeah. And and so I was like, it will be so hilarious. We just put my drum set in the back of this dude's pickup and did a parade with all these people. Who was the dude? 
This guy Tommy. Oh, it wasn't one of the drug addicts. No, 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 no. But I, you know, of course, roped one of them in. And so we had like a snare drum and a bass drum in his truck. Yeah. And then I think Braid played and Narrows played. It was like, it's like kind of a pretty great lineup, but like, oh, Sleepy Time Trio played a couple songs. And so the idea was during the last song, I'm just going to get in the van, like get in the back of this truck and leave. And we'd drive and I'd be playing the drums. Yeah around the neighborhood and then we drive back in and then it ends with me it, it, it like the whole thing is like it's just kind of lame yeah but it's funny because it's so lame <laughs> right and so we try to do it and we couldn't get the gate open like it was all slow yeah and then the guy that actually filmed it was the guitarist for braid he was the one that actually came with and so the cymbal stand kept like falling, falling off <laughs> yeah. so i grabbed this guy out of the alley and get him in the van or get him in the back of the truck. So there's this like total random guy yeah. holding it. I like, take his hat off and I put it on my head yeah. and we're like doing it or whatever. <laughs> and then we come through and it's, you know, it's, the point is it's anticlimactic and it's not that funny, but uh, it's hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he was like, the, you know, the show's over. We can't get through an alley because there's a woman in a wheelchair, like blocking. It was like, just, super degenerate yeah really weird um we stop and the guy's like man that was like the closest you made me feel like i was at the grammys i was like <laughs> like i don't know about that man like this is a super weak we're in a pickup truck yeah. like we we're, we're at lights most of the time like it was like yeah. it wasn't you know and then and then you know the performance is over and everyone's like you know kind of like that was kind of funny and the guy's like my man you owe me money <laughs> and i was like what he was like, "I you just cost me dealing time." He was like the drug dealer uh-huh. for the alley. Oh yeah. And he was like, "You owe me money." And I was like, "Uh, how? What do you mean?" He's like, "If you don't pay me, I'm gonna take it out of you." This is like, in, this is like in the show. This is now like in the show. We're not uh-huh. in the alley anymore. Yeah. And I look over, like all the narrows guys, just kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's just kind of like, oh. and then I was like, "Well, how much?" Like. He's like, well, I probably would have sold this much. He's like, I'm not going to charge you for stuff I didn't sell. I'm just going to charge you for my time. I was like, dude, we were like, went around the block. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to argue with him either because I could tell it would like turn yeah. quickly. Uh-huh. He's like, $45. I was <laughs> like, I'll give you $20 in a t-shirt. <laughs> and he was like, you got my size? He's like, I'm guessing you're like a large. He's like, yeah. He's like, done. And that was it. And then uh. the next night... Someone got murdered in that alley. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was great. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There, there you have it. Oh, man. That was, that's great. Uh, yeah. You can see that on, on YouTube. Oh, it's dude. On, oh, yeah. I got to check that yeah. out. One of my favorite. I've got one more because this is, this loops into this weekend. Okay. So there was it. So on the Retox tour, remember I like got Retox shaved. Yeah, I do. Shaved into my chest. And then. So it was in, that's, that's a whole different story. But yeah. as a joke, I got retox shaved perfectly into my chest and then my car broke down. And that's where the Syrian Orthodox Archbishop was. And he was like, why don't you come out? I was like, hey, I'm stuck in New York. I'll just come out and say hi. And I've known him long enough that I can be super informal. The day before... He was like, hey, 
I'm hosting a delegation from India. I want you to come and explain to the heads of the Indian church your project. And I was like, okay. And I don't have clothes for this. Like, I cannot yeah. go in like this. Yeah. And so the only shirt any band member could have was this, like, kind of linen shirt. And so I roll in. You can see retox through the shirt. It was so embarrassing. Like, I, like in, in, and so I roll in with, like, the Christian leadership of the country of India. And you can see the shadow of your band's logo <laughs> on my chest <laughs> underneath everything. I was just like, oh, man. This like, is- for the listeners of this, like, you have a very hairy chest. <laughs> enough hair on your chest to to shave our logo. Yeah. And so it was like, as always, like, the joke ends up on me. Yeah. It's like lame. It's funny at first. And then it turns into some, like, lame problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were the, – the community in Burbank was like – there's a community in India. I was like, oh, I've met them. Yeah. <laughs> I've hung out with those guys before. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's how it all loops together. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Episode 11 of the Colton Culture Podcast. Um, we'd like to say thanks to Jason Hamaker. Thanks to all of you for listening. And um, I don't know, do us a favor and check out all of our previous podcasts on 31G's SoundCloud or on uh, iTunes podcast under 31G as well. Um, We'd like to thank our future sponsors that we don't have yet. And uh, (laughs) what else? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's it. Um, Shout out to Captain. Yeah, what up? Taking a nap. (laughs) Um, Yeah, stay sick and brutal. Later. Planet B. B.